Welcome to Brute Facts. I have a great show tonight. A friend of mine, Dr. Josh Bowen. He is incredibly smart. He is incredibly nice and does by far the best Ken Hoven I have ever heard in my life. And we will not let him go until we get an impression out of him. Dr. Josh Bowen graduated from John Hopkins University with a PhD in Assyriology. How interesting is that? Uh, he also has a PhD from Liberty University, a bachelor's in religion. Nice. So Dr. Josh is hanging out back. Uh, he's been scratching at the walls, trying to get out, and I've been kind of keeping him there and making sure that he's minding himself. And uh, we're going to run our introduction, and then we'll bring him on. Welcome to the Brute Facts Podcast with your host and everybody's favorite Christian, Eddie Kroon. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel and hit that notification bell for future content. Hello, Dr. Josh. How are you doing? I think you are muted. Hey, there we go. Now, how are you doing? <laughs> you freezing no, up doing, on me, or yeah, you're no, doing no. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <clears throat> it's a, it's a dad humor. It's 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 all it's too early for the jokes. We gotta yeah. we gotta get the serious stuff out of the way, and then we can get into the fun part. We only got about two minutes of serious stuff, so copy that. Copy that. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, so I don't have a PhD from uh, Liberty, which um, I don't even know what that would look like. Just kidding. Sorry, that's that's not fair. Yeah. Um, I, I caught myself uh, there and I just ran. I do. I do. Yeah, I do have my bachelor's <laughs> uh, from Liberty, though. So you can all hold that against me. Everybody go ahead. Hold it against me. Um, fundamentalist. Man. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I kept going with the... Uh, the Masters in Theology from uh, Capital Bible Seminary, which is another pretty fundamentalist school. Uh, uh, and, but uh, no, no. Okay. But I'll tell you, the funniest story, I think, was uh, uh, I had two professors. One was our systematic theology professor. And I can't remember his name for the life of me right now, which is terrible, <laughs> uh, but unsurprising. And then yeah, Thomas Edgar. Thomas Edgar was our... Uh, 
our New Testament, like Greek, resident Greek scholar. And I remember sitting in one of his classes, we were going through Romans 9, and at the end of translating through it, he said, so clearly here you can see that, you know, this this does not um, necessitate, like, you know, any type of, of predestination. And, uh, and like there was this silence, I guess people were writing down some notes or something, and you could hear the systematic theology professor through the wall saying, and so here in Romans 9, you can see very clearly that predestination is what <laughs> Paul was teaching. It was really funny. I love uh, those arguments. Those are those are so fun. Yeah, really, they're not. I, but. I put up a meme at some point this week, and it. I don't know if you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine, but I've uh, seen it a few times. Yeah, it's, there's it's pretty a, hilarious. There's a scene where uh, Amy Santiago, who's sort of the persnickety uh, detective, has this rookie that's or this officer that's under her command who's giving all these ideas, you know, and giving all these suggestions and just really getting under her skin. And she's telling everybody about it. And Rosa looks at her and says, oh, you got an Amy. You know, which is, <laughs> you, you gotta, you, so I put a meme up, right? I have Amy, <laughs> you know, I talking and it says, I've got this, uh, I've got this uh, uh, person who's, uh, you know, telling me all the answers and all the solutions to all these incredibly difficult problems. And, and Rosa says, oh, you got a first year seminary student. Oh, yes. You know, that's, that's so true. Uh, that in first year philosophy students. So mm. being in philosophy, oh, you know, and it, you so I didn't take uh, I didn't have any philosophy classes. Well, I've done online classes, but not any uh, college courses per se. And my, I'd heard the jokes about, uh, first year philosophy students and my wife's going to kill me, but she got into, she did, she took a philosophy course when she was in college and it was like everything I'd ever heard that it was. And I was <laughs> just, I think I, I think I did half her work for her, but, uh, she just knew everything. It was like, uh, I'm just like, you literally just scratch the surface. But that was fun <laughs> times. So you got to be careful what you say to an Italian woman because it's likely <laughs> to come back uh, physically. So. <laughs> <laughs> so have you always been a Christian? Uh, so I was a Christian. I, I got saved five, six years old. Because uh, I, you know, I grew up in a in a fundamentalist evangelical household. Um, really, my grandfather was the biggest influence on me growing up. Uh, he was a Southern Baptist, I think, uh, ordained or licensed minister. Uh, but I mean, like, you know, from as early as I can remember, we would play uh, like these "Who Am I" games. And he would say, all right, so I, you know, walked around the walls of Jericho seven times and then they fell down. Who am I? You know, and he would get really complicated uh, as time went by. But, uh, you know, we did sword drills and, you know, all the, all the stuff that you would expect to, somebody to do in Sunday school. We did them yeah. seemingly all day, every day. Yeah. That's, um, sounds like he made it fun. Yeah, he definitely did. And, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I went to, went to church 
growing up, went to Christian school, uh, elementary, some of middle maybe. Um, but I was, eh, you know, it seemed like three, four or five times a week I was in the church, particularly during high school. We had one of those power teams, if you're familiar with those. Yeah, uh, the ministry power team ministry where you break the bricks and you bend the rebar and mm-hmm. pop soda cans, rip phone books. But I was part of that. If you can believe that, this six two, hundred and eighty five pound, you know, rail of a <laughs> rail of a guy is a power lifter. A power lifter. Yeah, that's uh. Well, I don't know, man. Some of the strongest guys I knew were the skinniest ones. So yeah, uh, I was not one of them. <laughs> no, that was not one of them my older brother i've always been the bigger one out of well now he's tall and big um broad shoulders and everything but growing up i had the broad shoulders he was skinny mm. and i swear he would toss me around like a rag doll <laughs> and it made me so mad because i worked for muscles and he didn't have any and I swear he was twice as strong as I was. It was <laughs> so frustrating. Andy was taller. Andy was yeah. older. <laughs> and better looking. Man, Come on. Oh, it's therapy session. Um, <laughs> so what, what led you to atheism? Uh, so I, you know, I, I really focused and given the, the type of school that I was in, we didn't really think about things like apologetics too terribly much uh, because it wasn't, it wasn't really even something to entertain um, because, you know, and we didn't really focus in on things like ancient Near Eastern history because we had the Bible. So we know what happened, you know, that, that sort of attitude. Yeah. So that left the languages, right? If the, if the word is inspired and inerrant, uh, then you want to know it. So, you know, Greek and then Hebrew, then Aramaic, then different dialects of Aramaic, then Syriac, then Ugaritic, then Akkadian. Like that's that's what we did. Um, so I ended up sort of really diving in to biblical Hebrew during my time there, so much so that they um, they had me, the last two years that I was there, they had me teaching other graduate students, the full cycle of biblical Hebrew um, and exegetical principles. Nice. Um, which was good. But again, it, the point is that it was like everything that I did was focused on the text. So, like I was reading unpointed Hebrew. Um, you know, it, it was like, like, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so you're um, like a real life expert. I mean, there are people that are much, much better than I am um, in everything. I'm quite certain, but uh, but I, I, you know, I could hold my own. Yeah. So I got to know a seriology. What 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 inspired you, or what was it that was so captivating about? Mm. It? I assume a seriology is study on the Assyrians. Yeah, it's that it's more broad than that now. Um, essentially what it encompasses is studying the languages and cultures of the ancient Near East, but focusing in on Mesopotamia. Okay. So most Assyriologists uh, will learn Sumerian and Akkadian. Those will be their two big languages. Uh, 
you know, depending on what you want to focus in on, some people will spend more of their time in Sumerian, older stuff. Yeah. Uh, others that want to work in particularly the late second millennium or the first millennium, maybe we'll spend more time with Akkadian. Um, but I was more of a Sumerian guy. So, uh, but yeah, the, what, what got me into that was that sort of good segue uh, because I was so into wanting to, to understand the Old Testament in particular, I would always go to my professor, uh, Mark Meyer, who graduated from uh, Catholic University in the Semitics program. And I said, like, what, what's the best way for me to become this outstanding Old Testament scholar? And he said, well, you know, you want to go learn Akkadian, essentially. And you want to learn Akkadian backwards and forwards. So I found this program at Johns Hopkins that was both close by and had a phenomenal, um, you know, a phenomenal uh, program for both Akkadian and Sumerian. And so I applied for it and uh, I'm shocked that it got in. Uh, I would have sooner expected to get accepted to NASA. Uh, than to get accepted into Johns Hopkins University, but oh, maybe they humble. really needed people at that time. But um, that's but that's you know that that was the impetus. That was the the I guess the the initial motivation was I just really wanted to learn the Old Testament well. But when I got there and they started you know telling me more about Sumerian in particular, I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is genuinely fascinating on its own. Uh, and so like I, I dove headlong into it for its own sake. Um, yeah, I, I have found what little reading I've done into, you know, the, uh, ancient Sumer Sumerians, the, you know, the Hammurabi codes, the looking at the, uh, you know, the evolution of monotheism out of, you know, uh, the Canaanites and it just going back further and further and further and, and just seeing, you know, all of these different ideas, because the way that I explain, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it was, uh, you know, Elohim and there was El and there was this. And, and it doesn't surprise me because we talk in languages we're familiar with. We communicate, you know, in ways that people, if I come up to you and just come up with a crazy God name, you know, Fufala is God. You're going to be like, what? Now, if I'm telling you about this God, given something you understand, well, yeah. then maybe you might start to understand. So are the, a little bit more on the Akkadian, if you don't mind, is it the same uh, genetically? Is it? not genetically, uh, through the bloodlines. Is it the same as the Acadian people in Canada and uh, the U.S., the ones they call Acadians? Is that like the same bloodlines, or do you know? I am unfamiliar with that. Uh, I would, I guess I would be surprised if anyone has a like a, an actual genetic link. I, I, it's certainly not my field. Um, okay, yeah. But uh, there certainly are Assyrians today uh, over in uh, in the Middle East that, um, you know, I, I 
identify as Assyrians, you know, from from that line. Uh, so, but I know I, I I've never heard of that. Yeah, that's uh, actually the Acadian people in Louisiana are actually a recognized minority in the U.S. and they're the only um, Caucasian uh, people that are a recognized minority. And there was, because uh, they were so much different than those around them and they had, you know, so much prejudice against them. And then there's Acadian people in uh, Canada. And I didn't know if it was they tied into <laughs> the ancient Acadians. So when well, we're now I have to go look, Eddie. You know, I didn't have enough to do. And now, <laughs> now I have to go look this stuff up. Thanks a lot, man. I'm sorry. Uh, so the ancient Acadians, what time period are we talking? Because I, I haven't heard uh, really. I mean, is it just a generic term for certain people? or? So sort of the in broad strokes, um, during the you know late fourth millennium into the third millennium, you have uh, showing up in the record the Sumerian language is the earliest written language that we have. And pretty quickly, though, in the third millennium, you start to see another Semitic language uh, start to come in. It's the Akkadian language. And it's a complicated time. Third millennium is very complicated. And people always ask the question, like, who are the Sumerians and who are the Akkadians? And where's the distinction between them? And that's that's a very tough question, one that I'm not even sure that we can answer. But um, certainly we have <clears throat> the uh, old Akkadian empires, probably the best known from the third millennium uh, group of Akkadians. And these are like Sargon, if you've heard of Sargon of Akkad, um, uh, Remush, Manishtushu, and then his grandson, Naram-Sin. Uh, you know, these are all kings of uh, the old Akkadian period. And they ruled, you know, much of Mesopotamia. And as you as you come down into the early second millennium, you have sort of this influx of Arameans. And again, that's also very complicated. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what to, to say about this. Akkadian sort of becomes the the lingua franca um, and um so you start to see a northern dialect of Akkadian, a southern dialect of Akkadian, but it's a Semitic language. Um, I, th I think I said the Arameans. Did I say the Arameans earlier? The Amorites yeah. is what so, I meant. The Amorites, the Arameans are later. So the Sorry. Akkadian were considered uh, Semites. They were from... The yeah, it's... Just, okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a Semitic language. So it's okay. like, you know, it's in the same family as Hebrew or... Right. Arabic or Aramaic. Um, so, you know, when you think about, particularly in the Old Testament, you start thinking about, um, you know, the, the Neo-Assyrian Empire, you know, with people like Sargon or Shalmaneser or Sennacherib, uh, Haddon comes up a lot, Ashurbanipal. Like, these are all kings of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, that had a tremendous influence. Tiglath Pileser III is a big one in the Bible. So he's, you know, right in the middle of the eighth century, and he's the one that starts reasserting 
um, influence and particularly over, you know, the North and in Israel over Samaria. So yeah, those are all, they speak Akkadian, Akkadian is their language. Uh, and of course, even when Nebuchadnezzar, like Nabopolassar and the Nebuchadnezzar, the Neo-Babylonian, Neo-Babylonian empire take over in like 610, you know, um, when they defeat the, the Neo-Assyrian empire, they're speaking Akkadian as well, but it's the ba- Babylonian dialect. And uh, so really that holds on for a while, uh, but that's who we're talking about. It's sort of in between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, so parts of Eastern Syria, but really all modern day Iraq. Um, and the, the, you know, the, the, the cultures the that developed the around there. before, uh, Persians after starting in 539. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, that's when they, so through that venture, um, what did you find out about the old Testament? Um, mm-hmm. as far as, uh, historical accuracy or lack thereof, or some of the practices, you know, that yeah. obviously the, you know, your newest book, uh, covers a lot of these things. And I do have the book and I forgot to grab it before, um, we started the show and it's over there and my headphones won't reach. So, <laughs> Well, I tell you what, because my beloved wife insists, rightfully so, that I keep them within reach. There yeah. it is. Yeah, there you go. Show them for a second that. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, look at that. I even hit the wrong button. Such a rookie, man. My goodness. So uh, <laughs> with uh, with this book, uh, unfortunately, I have about 50 of them in front of it, but I have kind yeah, of skimmed yeah. through it and uh, it's extremely interesting because i actually hated history mm. growing up i didn't want to learn anything history uh and uh, now it's like the more that i learn the less uh i mean the more that i learn the more intrigued i am by it mm. and it's it's almost yeah. kind of like philosophy it just kind of grabs you mm. you know because you can't learn enough of it did you set out to be a historian no uh so you know the story that i always tell in this in in this context is uh, i had finished my last um i'd finished my last uh class teaching biblical hebrew to the grad students and as i was walking out <laughs> i had this uh i had so many books that i would bring in uh, that I had this, it was like a tool. It was a, a, a rolling tool cart. Uh, it was, you know, that big. And I would just stuff it full of books. And it was like a suitcase that I could roll with a handle and I'm rolling out with, uh, I had so many books in there that I still had my, my BHS, my Hebrew, uh, text in my hand. And I was walking past the Dean's desk, uh, and that, that, at that satellite campus. <laughs> nice. And, um, and I said, uh, he said, so you got into Johns Hopkins. That's awesome. I said, oh, thank you. And he said, so, um, it's a pretty liberal school, you know, are you, are you ready? And I held up my Hebrew Bible and I said, I'm going into the lion's den. 
but I'm going to win souls for Christ. All right. So that was who I was that to the core. And I, I meant that like, I wasn't going to be a dick about it or anything, but right. Um, you know, I, I was going to go and show these people the, the, the truth of Christianity. Um, and when I got there, um, you know, William Prop is an Old Testament scholar, brilliant Old Testament scholar, been around for a while. He's got this amazing two-volume commentary on the book of Exodus, if anybody's interested, in the uh, Anchor Bible series, the Yale Anchor Bible series. But he <clears throat> he has this lecture that he did six, seven years ago on the Exodus, a paper that he read on the historicity of the Exodus. And at the end of it, he'd gone through and he talked about all the problems that are, you know, with the biblical account. And he said, now I, I understand when my, when my students come in to my first, the first class that they have with me, I always sort of give them a warning. And I say, a flexible mind is an adapting mind. Um, and he said, those of you that are able to flex with what I'm going to tell you over the course of this semester, you, you, you'll be able to maintain your faith. Uh, but if you can't, you know, I'm probably going to hear about you later. Um, <laughs> and probably not in a good way from relatives or something. And that's how I was, you know, I went in very inflexible because I was a fundamentalist evangelical. Right. And so everything you do it again or do you really freeze this time <laughs> oh i hope you didn't freeze are you are you are you messing with me he's done this so many times and been really good at it that uh Well, I don't think this time that uh, <laughs> I can tell you one thing. If he really didn't freeze and he's acting. Okay, he did freeze. Okay, thank you. So <laughs> he is so good with his um, fake freezing that I don't know when it's really happening and really when it isn't. So. Everybody, okay, about the tie. So I had made a comment to Dr. Josh earlier uh, that this tie was for Dr. Josh because he's special. And one thing that I've noticed with a lot of people on YouTube that do interviews is there's no sense of style. So I'm going to bring a little bit of style. And... Try to uh, spice it up a little bit here. So it's uh, uh, his internet crashed. So <laughs> he's resetting the router. So uh, I will go ahead and take this opportunity to say we have a massive show coming up and it's including Dr. Josh. And I would have loved to include Dr. Josh in this announcement. But 
he's got cheap internet. He should have went for the higher tier, but I digress. Um, so October 7th, it's 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We have Dr. Richard Carrier, Dr. Josh Bowen, Dr. in Training, Pat Lowinger, or Lowinger. I, I got to ask him how to properly pronounce his name. <laughs> so it's, uh, they are all three going to do a two hour special on, uh, science in the ancient world. This was Pat's idea, and I pitched it to Dr. Carrier and pitched it to Dr. Josh, and they were stoked about it. Dr. Carrier has written about science in the ancient, ancient world, so he was totally stoked to be able to come on and talk about it. And the coolest thing about it is Pat even had uh, the Society for Antiquarian Studies uh, partially uh, sponsored the show. So hopefully this will be something that gets shown maybe for educational purposes. Uh, I'm not sure. We'll have to see how that plays out. But I am very grateful for... Uh, Pat doing, I mean, coming up with the idea and being able to pitch these things and having Dr. Carrier on with Dr. Josh and Pat, I think it's going to be fantastic. My role is going to be totally minimal because, uh, <laughs> Jim Majors is on modern day debate. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that one. Uh, my role is going to be totally minimal because it's going to be a panel and it's going to be a two hour special and I'm going to let the experts, uh, hash it out. Uh, so now I am just buying time for Dr. Josh cheap internet to get rebooted. Let's see. We also have. Yes. October or August 19th, Inspiring Philosophy. Uh, Michael with Inspiring Philosophy is going to be on. And I have a few other guests in the lineup. I'm not sure yet on dates, but I'm trying to put together some pretty big shows with uh, names, bigger names, you know, together. And we're going to have to wait and see how that pans out. So, and I'm still waiting on Dr. Josh. Oh, Dr. Josh, where are, I thought I heard him pop in, but I guess not. So, if you haven't gotten Dr. Josh's book, The Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament, what little I have read of it has been fantastic fantastic and it's not what you think it is um i love the catchy title that he has and i got the hardback version because i like to kind of roll in style you never know when you need that extra weapon around so and looky here dr josh just in time to save me man oh man i don't know what's going on i'm hoping it doesn't cut out again 
Well, I'm going to tell you, you really fooled me that time because I didn't know if it was you or the internet because you literally froze for like two minutes. And I'm like, I think he's just messing with me. I think it's nope, nope. the longer it went, I was like, he's not messing with me. He's gone. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what happened. The Like I just looked over and the router was just black. Um, uh, so you, you, you have to get the higher tier internet. You can't get, I have it, man. I got like, what is it? Like a gig or something of download speed or so. I don't know what it is. We had a big storm yesterday, but all our stuff's underground. I don't know. <laughs> so I have no idea where we left off. So we're just going to jump on to the next topic. Okay. Um. So you got into writing books. Uh, why I don't know, because that seems like a monumental task that I don't think that uh, I could probably ever take on. So you wrote, did was your first one? Did the Old Testament endure slavery? Was that the first? One? No. Um. Oh, this was the first one. Oh, wow. I didn't even know you wrote that. I'm going yeah. to. So how come Amazon's like uh, blackballing you? Because I didn't see it, it on there. It should be up there. Um, I'll have to go search better next time. The uh, It's funny because <clears throat> I'd spent 15 years in grad school and eight of them you know doing sumerian and i thought this is stupid like i i should i should write some sort of basic grammar because the thing is you know if you want to learn if you want to learn greek you want to learn hebrew there are lots of really good books out there that are meant for someone that doesn't know anything about the language so you go pick up a learn to read biblical Hebrew book. And they're like, they assume, you know, English and that's about it. Um, there isn't, there wasn't really anything like that for Sumerian. I don't know if anybody's surprised by that or not, but you know, <laughs> there are no, amazing. Sumerian. Say it's not so. <laughs> <laughs> like there are amazing reference grammars, but you know, it's like picking up the uh, Chicago manual of style. For an English speaker, you know, it's really great, but it assumes you already know English. Um, so uh, we, Megan and I just said, well, we're going to, we're just going to write that. So I would, uh, I would get up at four in the morning and be out to Starbucks by four 30. And before work, I'd sit there for an hour and I'd have a cup of coffee and I'd eat one of those uh, sausage cheddar and egg you know, sandwiches, and I'd write this Sumerian grammar. And uh, when we published it, I thought it was going to be like, you know, this is this is cute. You know, we have a book. Hooray. That thing sells pretty well, like surprisingly well. Um, is it like textbook cost? Uh, we did it at $29, I think. Wow. Um, Looky there. But, like I was responsible for writing most of the grammar portion, but Megan did all this kind of stuff. Rock on. So she's an artist. Yeah. So like she she did a bunch of the exercises. Like she drew this. Uh, there it is. Wow. And the cool thing is like by the time you get done this book, because this is volume one, there's a three volume. It's a three volume set. 
Um, I'm working on volume two now, but you can read that by the end. It's pretty cool. Oh, um, wow. See, now you've got me. Now I got to read this one first before I can even go back <laughs> and get those now. And I want to get the other ones. So <laughs> it's my list of books are like, uh, I, hear you. I couldn't even print them out. It's, I think I have more books that I've only read chapters or parts of, or yeah, and my Kindle. It's the nature of the beast. Is, yeah, I got a crazy Kindle list. I got a crazy Audible list. I got a crazy Apple Books list, and I'm just like, yep. just yep. focus on one, man. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so tell me about the uh, motivation for the well obviously i know the motivation but for those who don't uh does the bible endorse slavery hmm. uh, what was i have not read that book uh i'm i should have read the book but i haven't so give us a little you know high view of what to expect there was a video series that came out by Cosmic Skeptic a couple years ago now, probably three years ago now, uh, about slavery in the Bible. And to that series, a uh, young guy by the name of Woody Meme responded. And Woody Meme is a Christian apologist, and he did a three-part series essentially saying, no, Cosmic Skeptic doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, slavery isn't what he thinks it was, and it wasn't as bad as what he says it was, and so on and so forth. So, uh, somebody asked me about it. You know, hey, what do you know? What's because this? You know, obviously, you know, this comes up a lot. Um, so I dug down into it and did a, did a lot of reading. And if you go to my bookshelf, there's an entire shelf and a half dedicated to. Uh, slavery in the Hebrew Bible um, and some in the New Testament, but mostly in the Hebrew Bible in the ancient Near East. And so I, 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 yeah, I put these, this three, I think it was three video series together. I don't know. Three is the magic number, I guess, for us all, but um, responding to what do you mean? Responding to cosmic skeptic who is actually responding to a guy by the name of Alan Parr. Now that I think about it. So, Hey, what do you mean? That's John McCray. That's a friend of mine. That's right. Yeah. 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 I hope you were kind to him and took it easy. Uh, yeah. He wasn't quite so kind to me. Really? Um, oh, I'm going to have to say something to John. That's not cool. Yeah. Uh, somebody, I mean, it's fine. I, I don't get YouTube, but um, he, uh, somebody, I guess, linked my video playlist to him and said, Hey, have you watched this? And he said, uh, he said, uh, I, I, I tried to, but I found it to be supremely boring. Wow. So hold on. I have to, you have to just let me share my screen so you can see my response. It won't take long. Okay. Um, Let's see. Yes, here it is. Okay. <laughs> so... I, I I'm I don't know. I'm proud of it. <laughs> I'm trying it's I'm trying to get it to show up and it's Let's not see. letting me see it. That's right. Share screen, share audio. That one. Okay. There we go. 
there we go. Okay. There we go. All right. Hi, everybody. Dr. Josh here. And this is an exciting summary of my supremely boring video responses to what do you mean on the topic of slavery? It turns out if you don't do an exciting response, he's probably not going to watch it. So here we go. Buckle up. In video response number one, he says, ah, fuck it. I can't do this. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm probably going to hell for laughing at that, but that was funny nonetheless. <laughs> John is a friend of mine. I love John. I can't believe he would say that about you. That's uh, he just he doesn't know. Yeah, yeah, he I doesn't know he, he Josh. <laughs> it's one of it's one of those things that. No, not go have after after I did those videos, I ended up having a conversation with uh, Michael Brown, Brown, Doctor um, Michael Brown, on, yeah, on um, Modern Day Debate. James James emailed me and said, "Hey, I've got somebody that <clears throat> would be interested in you know having a discussion with you on the topic of slavery," and I said, "Well." Um, you know, I don't, I don't like to debate. Uh, if he wanted to have like a civil conversation, that'd be fine. Oh yeah. 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 So then I agree. <laughs> I agreed to it. And like a week before the, the discussion, he puts out this promo video and it's like, got this, you know, really, uh, 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 serious music. And it's like, it's got pictures of me and it says the atheist. And then it's got pictures of Michael Brown preaching. And it's like, the theist or the Christian uh, did the Old Testament endorse slavery? Ding, ding, ding! And I was, <laughs> I was like, well, mm. so. Wow. But it was such a great discussion. Uh, I love Doctor Brown. He's uh, I'm gonna he's a super nice. Guy. Yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, I was like totally into Doctor Brown, and then I found out he was a charismatic, and I was like, what a letdown! That just. But it was. It was a really good discussion because you know he's he's got a PhD in ancient Near Eastern Hebrew Bible stuff, yeah, and he's, he, he he's a cultural uh, Jew too, isn't he? Um, I think he was Jewish and became uh, a Christian, yeah, kind of like messianic. Yeah, I think he's a messianic Jew. I'm not, but I'm that's yeah. that's a good question. I'm not sure in particular, but because um, I watched, I listened to a debate with him and. Uh, a couple of rabbis or one mm. in particular, man, that rabbi was so rude, but, uh, yeah. And then I found out it was charismatic and I was like, Oh, it was too good to be true. But I'm going to have to find that. I'd love to see that conversation. He seems like a really, it was boy. great. He, he came into the, he came into the stream backstage and I said, Hey, Dr. Brown, nice to meet you. And he said, Hey, Dr. Josh, nice to meet you. So what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, which which fit perfectly so that's typical dr brown man that gum charismatics man i'm telling you so <laughs> so i want to say that you writing these books dealing with twins and a christian wife wife as an atheist and you have to deal with MS on all of, on top of all that. How does the MS affect you 
as far as trying to write the books and and really because from, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it causes cognitive uh, issues. My wife also has a uh, uh, she has a uh, autoimmune disease that mm-hmm. causes clouded mind and mm-hmm. foggy brain and things so i've seen with her just general everyday things can be a struggle at Mm. times is is it that i mean is it that severe that it really kind of hinders trying to think through these things yeah i'm uh i'm i'm on a fair amount of medication uh to try to control a lot of this stuff um so I take stuff from my memory and for my cognitive processes. I once a day I take um, <laughs> probably a bigger part of it. I mean that's pretty that's pretty big. But an, another big part is uh, the MS causes clinical depression. So I'm on. Uh, uh, it just it it screws with yeah. things yeah. neurologically. Um, yeah. So I take stuff for that. Uh, does other stuff, but anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's okay. I've become kind of accustomed to. Uh, I've I've learned when I can do things and when I can't do things. Usually, first thing in the morning is when I'm kind of raring to go. It's been difficult more recently with the twins, um, <clears throat> but you know, I still find try to find time in the evenings. But it's harder. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. It, it's there, I had a professor, Ted Lewis, who uh, just published his magnum opus last year. It's a thousand and twenty page book or something on Israelite religion. And he said, just write a little bit a day, write a little bit every every day, write a little bit every day. Uh, so that's what I do. <clears throat> um, and, a, okay. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm good. No, I was going to say, is it a progressive, degenerative kind of disease that it just gets worse and worse and there's not any better or stagnant? There are two types of MS. I always forget what they're called. There's a uh, relapna. Okay, I got it. Relapsing, remitting, and then um, I think primary progressive. But... <clears throat> The, the one that oftentimes people start off with, and I'm still in this stage, I think, is that you have an episode and it gets worse. And then after several weeks, it comes back down. Mine doesn't come all the way back down, but it comes down reasonably far. And then some time goes by and you have another one and then it comes back down and so on and so forth. But it, the, the point is that it generally comes back down. Um, yeah, the depression yep. part of it. Yeah, that's pretty constant. Um, yeah, there are aspects of it that are kind of constant. My left arm is kind of tingly all the time, uh, but it gets worse. But uh, like my left eye, I'm technically blind in my left eye, uh, but it can still get worse when I have an episode. But like if I do this, I've got my contacts in and like, everything's fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but 
probably what will happen is as the years go by, it starts to develop into, I think it's called secondary pro- progressive. And it just means when they go back up, they don't come back down, they stop and they go along there and then it goes up again and gets worse. But I mean, yeah, we'll take that when it comes. Um, yeah, that's the depression part. Um, I've suffered from uh, depression. I have pretty severe ADHD that's led to anxiety and depression. And mm. It's a constant battle. Um, the, you know, having to take medication to be able to sit still, not yeah. talk too much, you know, things like that. I can relate on the uh, uh, depression level. It is uh, nothing to play with. It is nothing I would wish upon my enemy. And I'm really heartbroken to hear that that's a part that you have to deal with because, um, you know, a lot of times I've seen you in different streams and things like that. And I joke around as, you know, Christian approved. Uh but you're, you're you're such a humble person, and I admire humility. And then to find out that on top of all of this humility, you suffer from what you suffer from. My ADHD is just something I got to live with. It's not progressive. It's not. I don't have to worry about one day, you know, being in a state where. I just can't function properly anymore. And I just, I just want you to know, I mean, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I, I, I have all the respect in the world for you. And I think you're an incredible human being. I really appreciate that. That's a, it's very, very generous. Um, if I can, if I can live up to it. <laughs> <laughs> you already have. It's, uh, uh, I, I appreciate I, that. I was, Drawn to you the first time I saw you, and it wasn't because of the Ken Hoven impression either. Uh, <laughs> although that is very, very, very good. Uh, so, oh, yeah. hey, you know, let me let me tell you something. Uh, that's I'm glad that I wore my it's... glad that I wore my Hawaiian shirt let's, today. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's get the sweat off my eyes. Oh, come on. Yeah, let, you know, <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, let's just take a second and go back. Okay, uh, so uh, here down here at Dinosaur Adventureland, uh, you can just call me Doctor Dino. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we like to do, Eddie, is we like to talk about evolution and uh, how evolution is the, uh, the dumbest uh, religion uh, that, uh, that, that people have uh, propagated upon our youth. Okay? And, uh, you know, I, I'm fine with you having your religion, uh, your beliefs, uh, but the, the thing is when you start to try to make taxpayers uh, pay for that in the schools, well, I, see, I just I, I think that's wrong. So if you get part 17 of uh, my 57-part uh, creation series, well, you can see there's seven types of evolution. Uh, there's Big Bang evolution. Uh, there's cosmological evolution. The evolution of my car. Uh, so when the when the water uh, rains down on the otters, okay, yeah, I'm here to help. <clears throat> okay. I, was, oh, I was trying not to go full blown laughter, but it's just, I mean, he ought to pay you for, <laughs> for as well as you do. I just really hope. I always think this when I do those. I hope one day, like if he sees this one day, he knows. This is all in good fun. I'm just kidding. But, but you uh, forgot. You, you forgot. Right, so we got the Trinity of Trinities, and we got the, the God the, and the Father. And yeah, I'm not near as good, but it's uh, he is definitely something else. Uh, I, I remember the first time I saw him, 
uh, and he just pops out. It's like a school gym. He's like, we have the trinities of trinities, and then he just goes on and on. And I'm like, who is this guy? What is this guy talking about? (laughs) Where did he come from? At first, being a young Christian at the time, I was like, wow, listen to this guy go. And then I'm like, whoa, he just totally crapped on evolution it's like wait a minute halt the brakes let's back up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah that whole young earth creation thing i love you guys who are young earth creationists but i hate you i mean i was one yeah, i was so. too that's why that you know that's crazy it's you know us folk that were at one time probably have the least patience for those that are and it's really not fair because we had the same cognitive dissonance because it's a see i didn't think that i did because i mean no but first i never really looked into it because i didn't think it was was important yeah it was sort of the same thing as with history right like who who cares like i i could hold my bible up and say i know what happened so um i didn't have to look into science because i can just hold my bible up and say look you know I, I, i know what happened so but when people would ask me um you know, how can, how can the earth look so old or how can we have like starlight or whatever? My response, which I mean, this I think is in some ways the danger of certain types of apologetics um, is that it gives you a possibility. And as long as you've got that possibility, you don't need to look any further. My possibility, the thing that I, the thing that I just hung on to um was that well how in the garden of eden how old did adam look yeah. right he didn't look like he was 4 seconds old when he looked like he was in his 30s did so god created button? him huh did he have a belly button yeah did trees have <laughs> rings i mean i would say yes right if you cut them down because god created with apparent age and if god created with apparent age well i mean he can create stars that look older he can create the earth that looks older i mean why not and that was enough for me. Um, but the, the thing is, with that line of reasoning, though, and this is where what got me out of uh, that line of reasoning was, so are you familiar with Hank Hanegraaff? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Hank Hanegraaff. Bible answer man. Yeah, and he's he is one of the most charitable Christians alive. I mm. wish everybody would approach people and other believers the way that he does i mean even if you disagree with the man he was just so loving and charitable in the way that he did it and it kind of that's what kept me i listened to him because i disagreed with him Mm -hmm. and he brought up i think it was uh 1986 87 supernova a and it was like 160,000 light years away and we viewed it in the 1980s and it took 160,000 light years you know 160,000 years at the speed of light to get to earth for us to actually view that event and I'm like well that kind of blows away the whole 6 to 10,000 years and so then you're stuck with uh, the appearance of age well then that makes God a deceiver because the Bible says to look to the uh heavens and in his creation for his majesty and if it looks old but it really isn't then he's deceiving us and it makes a worse conundrum 
how do we know we weren't created five minutes ago yeah. with yeah. all these things? So you start playing these philosophical games with this and it's like, it's just, just no reason to hold on to it. It's because it only affects a certain interpretation. Yes. It doesn't affect the veracity of scripture. Only a literal interpretation is all yeah. that it affects. So I'll get off my soapbox, but. <laughs> no, I, I think that's, I think that's a good way to yeah. say it. And I'm not a, I, I don't, for anybody who's who listens to me, when I talk about religious things, I'm I consider myself a philosopher, a terrible one, but a philosopher. And <laughs> <laughs> apologetics are a part of theology. I don't mm. do apologetics. And if you hear somebody defending their position and they happen to believe in a God or something like that, it doesn't necessarily mean they're an apologist. Yeah. Uh, I believe we all should be able to you know, defend our positions, but unlike yeah. a lot of apologists, I'm willing to hear and possibly change my position. Yeah. This is, this is one of these things that, um, I put out a tweet a couple weeks ago and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about Christian apologetics. Um, and this whole debate came up, you know, like, Oh, well, everybody's an apologist. Because everybody defends something. And it always makes me think of that Venn, Venn diagram, right? Where the two circles come together. I think that's what a Venn diagram is. And there, when it, you know, with words and language, there's certain, you know, aspects of, of words that where meanings can come together in this polysemous fashion. And they, uh, you know, they, they, they link up at certain points. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all aspects of that, of that word carry over to both circles. Uh, so when people say a Christian apologist today, which is why I followed up the tweet with, how would you define a Christian apologist? Um, and I think the difference for me is like when I, when I, 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 I uh, put my dissertation, when I wrote my dissertation, it was on um, how these specific Sumerian texts were used. By the way, if, you want to read about it? That's the other book that I wrote uh, as a publication of my dissertation. Um, my homework is so terrible. <laughs> no, thanks, it's fine. Thanks, Doctor Josh. Sorry, but um, but that one, uh, like I have a I have a sort of nuanced idea of how these tablets were used, right? But it's because I wrote my dissertation on it. The whole point of writing it is to come up with something new, right? All right, but. You know, and I had to do an addition. I had to do like a translation of this tablet that nobody had translated, and I had to do commentary on it. Um, so when I went to my dissertation defense, I sat in front of all these other professors. Um, I had to defend my position. But that doesn't mean that if somebody wrote an article... You know, like if Pascal Adinger, who's a big Assyriologist down in Switzerland, if he were to write an article, first of all, I'd be so excited if he wrote an article about my dissertation. But if he did, like, I would be reading it excitedly, and I wouldn't think to myself, oh, I'm losing something if I'm wrong. I like that's, I think that's the difference. I, I don't feel like there's something else that's behind my defense other than uh just my position 
on that particular topic. I feel like, in a sense, apologetics is based, Christian apologetics is often based on, you've got this other conclusion, this other position that you hold to, and some of its ramifications, some of the effects of that trickle out into these other theological or, you know, linguistic or historic or whatever um, issues. And so you go out to defend them, really defending this bigger thing behind you that's sort of the, the, the thing that you're really holding on to. So as you said, um, you know, if you're a fundamentalist evangelical like I was, the exodus, the historicity of the exodus is quite huge, right? Yeah. So somebody comes up and says, oh, no, we don't have a you know a 15th century exodus of two and a half million people from Egypt. Well, it's not that I care so much about that. It's what I care about is if that's not historically reliable, then the text isn't inspired and inerrant. And therefore, my entire belief structure, this thing back here, falls apart. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going out to defend the exodus really to defend this core belief. And that that's what I have a problem with. And I think that's how most people view Christian apologists. Yeah. Um, and just in general. So, yeah, there's, you know, I, I, I have a lot of friends who are apologists and, um, you know, nothing against them. They, they, sure. they feel that's what they're, you know, they're called to defend the faith and defend it the way they do and more power to them. That's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. I, I was there and, you know, I, I wanted to know what was true. I didn't want to go in ready to, uh just defend defend defend, yeah. defend. I, and i did for a long time i did do the defend 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 um and then you know i was like wait a minute you know i'm uh, i'm parroting all these things i've already changed my position a couple of times and you know it's like how about i just shut up listen to other people yeah and mold a worldview that's actually uh coherent and consistent and that's yeah. what i kind of set out to do so going from uh that to uh first there was actually a question here that i think that you need to uh address am i so, obfuscating yeah no 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 barricading <laughs> yes <laughs> uh oh where is it at uh it was a pretty good question before we move on to the next oh in the side chat oh yeah here we go okay, okay. spartan theology wants to know how do you justify the metaphysical grounding of the transubstantial elements of reality well 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 spartan i i don't know that um <laughs> if we consider uh how the um the uh transcendental uh, I, I think that if we uh, think about the Big Bang event, uh, we we can not consider this uh, to be something uh, that uh, can ground uh, all of our existence. Uh, how how would you do that, uh, Spartan? <laughs> I got to work on it. 
I gotta work on yeah, it. Hey, that's uh, that's <laughs> not bad at all. So I had to give away our big announcement while you were gone to fill time. Uh, okay. So I kind of wanted to do it with you, but you left me for a little while. Sorry. And yeah, I know. When I left, did you leave every light in the house on? It was the backyard the right? Is the back of the crack of dawn? Yes, it absolutely was. Was that Toby <laughs> Keith? That's a, no, that's a. I don't remember. Is it? I think it. I think it's. Old I could Toby sing Keith. it, but I don't yeah. remember who sang it. It is. That's old Toby Keith. That's before nine eleven. Before he turned into, I'm gonna kick your ass, and <laughs> Uncle Sam's gonna whip you up and down, and yeah, that was the 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 that ain't my truck, Toby Keith, when he was singing about that all ain't the country my truck. stuff. Yeah. So uh, I do want. I did want to cover Digital Hammurabi. What is Digital Hammurabi? The website, the hmm. organization, the people. Yeah. What is it? Um, so at I would say at this stage of the game, uh, Megan does all the work. <laughs> I mean, um, at first I was able to contribute uh, a lot more, but I, I just I, I don't have the time um, to do it any longer. But she does obviously a phenomenal job. Uh, which I probably didn't need to say any of that, but I think it needs to be important. Um, so <laughs> that was a funny stream. Um, so digital Hammurabi's goal, its its purpose is to try to make the ancient Near East, which includes the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, understandable, more palatable to interested non-specialists, so people that, haven't had the luxury of going and getting advanced degrees in this stuff, but they want to understand the ancient Near East and the Hebrew Bible. How do they do that? That's what the channel does. Now, Megan has, so we have tons of videos on the channel um, that are, you know, breaking down the ancient world, uh, the ancient Near East in general, ancient Mesopotamia. Of course, we have lots of stuff uh, on, on the Old Testament. We always bring in, scholars that are you know experts in the field and uh, get them to talk about the newest research that they're doing or to address a really important topic so we had john collins come on about a year ago i guess maybe a little less to talk about uh, genocide in the old testament because that was a really big topic uh, we've had joel baden come on and talk he's an expert in the documentary hypothesis and talk about you know that particular topic the formation of the pentateuch we had recently um, the ancient Near Eastern Hebrew Bible law specialist, uh, Bruce Wells, come on. And actually, he talked about this new book that he's writing on the Garden of Eden story and what it's pulling from in its Neo-Babylonian background. So we, you know, lots of lots of different topics like that. Um, yeah, I figured you so, could explain it a lot better than I could. So, <laughs> well, the other the other aspect to this is we wanted to make it. Uh, I think the overall goal of the channel is to get more people going into formal education in these areas. So I feel like stage one is just getting 
intelligent, but maybe, you know, intelligent, interested, or maybe not, I, I don't know, people interested in the topic. Uh, and so that's sort of what the channel does. But hopefully that then funnels people toward these universities to get, you know, humanities built built up a little bit more, because I think it is a valuable, you know, thing. So then the other part of the channel is supporting people who are already there in the process. So PhD students are poor for the most part. They don't make money during the summers. And so we have this scholarship program that Megan runs and we raise, it's completely crowdfunded. She's actually created a nonprofit organization called HAPS, Humans Against Poor Scholarship. And uh, we have regular donors that give and we offer uh, individual $2,000 scholarships to PhD students. And in order to get one of these scholarships, uh, they come on and they do a 30-minute interview with us or with one of the members, one of the board members of HAPS. And they just talk about what they're doing. They talk about their research, what they want to use the money for during the summer. And then everybody that donates gets a vote as to who gets the money. So it's crowdfunded and it's crowd-driven. Nice. Um, so I think she was able to, we, we raised enough to get four scholarships away this year, I think three or four, I can't remember. Um, but she just started, uh, uh, I think it's called black scholars matter and oh, it's, awesome. it's for, I think it's geared towards seniors. I'll have to ask her about the specifics, but seniors who are graduating, but are going into a PhD program, um, in the in ancient Near Eastern studies, Egyptology, Assyriology, archaeology, whatever. And one of the hardest things to do for anybody, but especially somebody of color, is to network, right. to get in with scholars that are already established in the field. Well, there are annual conferences that we all have every year. And what we do is we pay for them to fly out. We pay their um, membership to the, to the organization, pay their membership fee, pay for room while they're out there, pay, pay, you know, give them a meal stipend. And, uh, we set them up with an established scholar who volunteers to take them essentially by the hand and walk them around and introduce them to scholars in the field. Say, Hey, this is, you know, this is Jim, uh, you know, this is what he's interested in doing, or this is Susie, this is what she's interested in doing, whatever. Um, and so that they get that immediate facial, facial recognition, you know, people, people know who they are, they know who they are. It just, I think it's really going to help, um, you know, establish um, black scholars in the field because there just aren't as many. Absolutely. I think that is, yeah, I applaud you guys on that effort. That is fantastic. I mean, that is, you know, that's, that's a part of our, uh, that's, you know, a lot of people act like it's some kind of sore subject that we can't talk about. You know, um, I grew up in a very poor neighborhood, um, and I saw firsthand people that were treated different from me because of skin color. So, yeah. For people that live inside this bubble who doesn't think that, you know, there's not a harder hill to climb for some people. 
uh, is absolutely, uh, it's, it's just being oblivious to what's really going on in reality. And the fact of the matter is that, uh, we still have, you know, a lot, we have such a long road ahead and a lot to do every, we have made strides, but we're nowhere near where we should be. And as a country, you know, and I applaud you guys on that. That that is a fantastic uh, venture to be spearheading. So, well, we wanted to uh, we wanted to give a scholarship this year, um, and I think it was probably back early in the spring that she thought about it. So we like we put the initial two thousand dollars into it to do it, but that like starting next year, I think that's also going to be part of the you know, other than us funding it, crowdfunding. Uh, so you know, is there, feed into it. is there uh, somewhere on the website where people can yes. There's a, uh, there is uh, on digitalhammurabi.com. There's a section of the website. I don't remember where it is. Actually, probably like somebody like Iron Chariotier or um, Big Zebra or something could probably link it or. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Because but, um, I would love to be a part of that, and anybody that's you know uh, listening to this, it's this is a fantastic cause, and uh, there's no reason not to give to something like this. Uh, if you so. want to see how it works, she puts you know obviously we record all the um, the interviews and they're saved in, in a playlist on on the YouTube channel. The neat thing about it, and it's the last thing I'll say about it, because but she's gonna be <laughs> Megan's gonna be really excited that I talked it up like this. So thank you for letting me do it. No, um, yeah, absolutely. My show is the, your show. Whoops, there's a microphone. The, there. <laughs> the neat thing about it is um PhD students will often get so focused on their research that they kind of stay in their own head and they can't give an elevator speech terribly well. Like this, this book that I wrote um, that published my dissertation, it took some doing to rework it so that it would be interesting to somebody that's not an Assyriologist. Um, and I remember I like, I've seen professors that really needed a healthy dose of doing something like this on YouTube. So what it does when it, when a candidate comes on, they have to get the people that are watching to vote for them. It's how it works. So if they come out and they're like, well, let me tell you about, you know, uh, the, uh, the Sumerian liturgical text from the old Babylonian city of Kish. And they're written unorthographically, which, you, you know, if you, if you think about how the CVCV syllables work, like, you know, everybody's going to go, oh, he seems really nice, but probably not going to vote for that person, right? Because it's, it's, you know, it's not really moving right. you. <laughs> uh, so it teaches, it teaches, you know, PhD students to come in and to, think through how do I make my work accessible to other people? Because while it's great for a scholarship like this, when they start writing grants, you know, trying to apply for other grants or applying for a new job and they have to go, you know, give a a presentation to faculty and uh, students in a department that aren't all going to be a seriologist from the early second millennium, you know, they're archeologists, they're Egyptologists, they don't know all the stuff. They've got to be able to make that stuff 
palatable and exciting. So I think it it works on that level as well. So I'm I'm pretty yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. Absolutely, there's a, definitely. I mean, that's something to be excited about. Uh, we, we, my wife and I, and uh, a few of the more philosophical kind of Christians that I have up here, uh, that I've actually met online that that are uh, not far from me. We've been looking for, you know, some kind of outreach ourselves, you know, seeing how we can kind of help given the current environment and, you know, the way things are going on. So um, I usually try to keep it around an hour. We've gone 20 oh, minutes. Gosh. No, it's a, Hey, no, man, it's fantastic. We'll go all night long if you want to. Uh, it's, uh, but you did cut out for a minute there. So you got to, no, I'm just playing. We do. Uh, there are a couple of questions from some of your sure, biggest sure. fans that you probably already answered before, but cause they're your biggest fans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to make sure I don't want to, I want to make sure I didn't miss anybody. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, thank you, Soren. This is an amazing talk. Yeah. I feel good. Thank you. <laughs> ah, and Iron said, this is such an sh- amazing chat. Yes, it, it was amazing chat. I'm trying to listen to Dr. Josh and watching the freaking thing fly at the same time. So that is a good thing. Uh, oh, here we go. When are you going to role play with that? <laughs> I've already put that one. <laughs> no, but that was a funny stream because... Uh, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> yeah, it was on... What was it on Nathan's channel? I think it was on Nathan's channel. And I came in and they were already doing it. You know, they had, they had switched. So, Atangelo was the Christian... Uh, no, the um, atheist. Atheist. And we were all oh, trying to be Christians. It was pretty funny. So he did a pretty good job. So, <laughs> I like Otangelo in his own right. Uh, somebody's claiming my wife dressed me. I taught my <laughs> wife about style. How do you like that? No, I'm just playing. She's, she didn't dress me, but she got style. Uh, do you think philosophy is important when it comes to deciding which faith to choose? I mean... You know, everybody is, knows what I'm going to say. Philosophy is not my field. Um, so, uh, I don't know that I'm. I don't know that I'm qualified to make any type of informed comment on that. I guess what I would say is I've never gotten far enough uh, to think at this stage in my life. I haven't gotten far enough to think. Um. about these types of philosophical arguments for a deity where I am is uh, I'm I'm looking at the major religions, obviously focusing on Christianity because that's my background. That's what I see all the time. Um, And thinking, I, I don't see any good reason. Well, I, I see lots of reasons why the type of religion that I was raised in and what I see many people engaging in, that type of Christianity is incorrect um, or severely flawed. Um, And I don't, you know, so then getting back to like bigger picture about, well, just about about a God in general, you know, for me, I haven't seen any, I guess this is pretty standard 
type of language, but I haven't seen any reason to think that a God would be necessary um, with the reality that I see. But I like really, I, I would consider myself an atheist uh, because I don't believe in a God. If you ask me, is there a God? I would say, I don't think so. Um, but I don't know that I care a lot. That sounds terrible. Um, no, no, no. That's that, that gum that's twice. I hit that thing. Keeps jumping out in front of me. Uh, no, there's actually a position called apatheist. And that mm. is in, I've actually kind of at times found myself in the same posi- position. You know, I just, you know, given the things that I'd gone through and how distant God felt from me, I was like, you know, I just, I don't even know if I care, you know, and mm. I work with a couple of guys that just flat out tell you, I don't care. I I don't know if there is. I don't know if there isn't. I don't care. It's yeah. apathyism. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. At least it, it's a pretty honest position anyway. Uh, so uh, Iron is just lighting them up for you. He's giving you, he or she, I, I did it again, um, mm. is giving you the uh, hard questions. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if it's a serious question, I think it is. Uh, you know, I think the key in it, and it's just my experience, uh, completely anecdotal, but um, I think that people do what they want to do and they do oftentimes what they want to do in this regard is what makes them the most money. So that's where their values are. And I get that. Like, I don't, and I think it's part of life as we see it, um, particularly when there's uncertainty and, you know, we don't live in a society that is is, is trying to keep things level for everybody. Right. Um, you know, looking out for oneself and one's family is, you know, is very natural. Um, but I think that when the overriding value in life is I'm so interested in this particular topic or, you know, engaging in this particular type of research or trying to get this type of understanding when that overrides, you know, the motivation for accumulating a lot of wealth, you know, I think that's when you start seeing people go into the humanities in particular. And like, I don't, I don't know about the sciences necessarily, but, um, so that's, again, that's sort of what we're doing with the channel is just trying to say, hey, this is really interesting stuff. There aren't enough people doing it. Um, there's, particularly in things like a seriology, mm-hmm. like there are at least a half a million tablets. Wow. Like a, 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 many of them are just the yeah, original. They're not, yeah, they're not copies of tablets. You manpower. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, my dissertation, I did, I, I translated through a lot of tablets that nobody's translated through. Wow, that is awesome. Um, I do. So, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. No, I was going to say, I just wanted to read the question for the podcast later on. So oh, yeah, sure. They know. <laughs> I, I just dropped right in and said, here, answer this and didn't even think about it. Uh, the question was, how do we encourage more people? 
to appreciate the sciences instead of ending up on Wall Street. I think money people are going to go after money and science people are going to go after science. That would be my answer. But they I ask do th- you. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do think that a lot of times, again, just in my experience, but it does seem like it becomes a default position to just make a lot of money if you haven't found something else that you're really interested in. And I know for me, you know, my, my life really focused in on, all right, well, I'm a, I'm a bum getting out of high school with a 2.495 GPA. Uh, you know, so, uh, you finished high school. Yeah. (laughs) Shoes. You had shoes. You're getting way better than I am. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, once I learned Oh my God! Like I, I'm, I'm not bad at languages, ancient languages, but that's pretty cool. You know, then it was. I mean, I was really interested, and so that became an overriding factor for me. Um, so, yeah, that's very cool. So, Germania, Germania. What's one thing he wishes question? Chris, questions. <laughs> Christians would understand concerning their Bible. It's not inerrant. <laughs> it's not infallible. There, I'll answer yeah. it for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I think that's a. I think that's a good answer. Inspiration. I mean, while I don't think that any ancient text is divinely inspired, right. that it doesn't need to be infallible, inerrant. Um in order for it to be inspired. I think that's a notion that we pull from the text. It's a theological conclusion that we pull. Um, and I, I, I just don't think it's necessary for you to maintain your Christian faith in the same way that, um, you know, if, if, you know, God decided to use Moby Dick to, uh, you know, teach teach me a moral lesson. Right? Moby Dick doesn't have to be inerrant. You know, I don't have to go looking down to every uh, fragment of the sentence to, to 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 make sure that it's completely correct in every way. Uh, in order to to gain that uh, that moral understanding, and so um, I I also don't think that we necessarily have to hold on to um, authorial intent as the most important feature for interpretation. And what I mean by that is, I think there's a lot of value in reader response. You know, again, if if you hold to that book being divinely inspired um, and God can use it, then I think that God can use it however he damn well sees fit. And so, you know, people people like to get on Sunday school teachers um, for, you know, our Bible study, leaders of Bible studies. All right, open up your book to Matthew chapter 6, and let's read these verses, all right? So what what does that say to you? How does that make you feel? Oh, you know, you're not getting at authorial intent. You're not, you're not getting it. Well, I mean, I think those are very important questions, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that they need to be 
the most important features. And, the, and I think that because what I see, and this is the last thing I'll say, because I'm waxing on, but we have an ethical, <laughs> like we, there are certain ethical, not that it's my field, but like we have an ethical system in general that we've established. And I think that this type of reader response theory uh, or practice of reader response interpretation can make subtle changes to, but more reinforce the good moral system that we we recognize and motivate us to do better. This is what I see at the ecumenical, I mean, the Episcopal church that we go to. The gospel readings or the, you know, the readings in the Old Testament, they're not meant to get you to change the way you think about your morality. What they're meant to do is to encourage you to go practice the morality that you have, the ethical system that you already have. So um, that means that they can read through passages like uh, Deuteronomy 15 and, and it talk about what to do with the release of an Israelite slave after six years and focus in on, look, it says that you're supposed to give sacrificially to the, the, the slave that you've had for those six years. So like God's going to support them if they do that. Well, how can we give to people that are less fortunate, trusting that God will take care of us if we do? Yeah. I mean, boom, you don't have to, now you don't have to wrestle with is it okay to have slaves? No, of course, that, of course it's not okay to have slaves. What are, you, what are you talking about? Just forget that. That's not the point, right? And so I think there's real value in that. Anyway, that's my two cents. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely love your two cents. And we'll close out with this last question, if I can find it again, because uh, it was a good one. Uh, oh, where's it at? Oh, there we go. BigZebra.com. Which of the Christian faiths had the best bake cells? That's Southern Ooh. Baptist. Hands down. You, you think can't even so? Compete, you can't even compete with Southern Baptist. See, I think uh, I think the Amish. Oh, darn. I forgot about the Amish. And yeah, I, I think Google the Amish right probably have Amish. it. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, the Amish, most Amish don't sell to the public. They sell to. They do store. well. I mean, around here, they definitely do. Well, um, a lot of them sell to a store that sells to the public, or it'll we say have, Amish store that's not actually run by Amish. I tell you, we have auctions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we Liberal have auctions Amish. around You're here. Going to hell. <laughs> 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 um, like we have, we have auctions. Uh, Megan loves coming. I, mean, I, I wish it's one of the reasons I hate COVID is like, we don't get to go to these auctions anymore and not necessarily because we want to get something, but it's oh. just so cool to go there and to get, it's usually in the, in the fall or early winter, you know, so it's cold out. So you get yourself a nice hot breakfast sandwich, a cup of coffee. Um, of course she's drinking tea. So we have to bring that from home, but um, man, they've got all this stuff out there that they're that they all these baked goods that they've made, and then of course there are a lot of the Amish are there to buy to use tools, right? Um, so it's a 
yeah. Anyway, that's probably yeah. more than what I needed to answer for that question. <laughs> <laughs> and I lied. That's not the last one because uh, Spartan Theology's trying to ring me a new one because I didn't ask his. <laughs> but he's only asked like five. Thanks, Ethan. Uh, but his, you can't trust that guy. I'm telling you, man. But his is a zinger. Can Dr. Josh admit already that he's not a Christian because he wanted to see <laughs> Look, here's the thing. I saw this really cute girl, right? Oh, and I was like, no, well, right. and marriage, then it turns out marriage. it yeah, turns let's... out that she was a Christian. Oh, just dude. my luck. I know it. We didn't even get to the part of you living with a Christian. That's uh I know. We're I know. gonna save that one for a part two. Yeah, sounds good. But I'm going to, we are at the 135 mark. Man, this is the longest show I've done in a while. Yeah. I feel like I I'm just doing need to learn to now. talk faster, Eddie. That's see, all it I'm is. Just, I'm I just, just talk so no, it's slowly. The crown's wearing off, so it's time to pour some more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see everybody out here. I will see you in the backstage if you got a minute to hang around. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for showing up. This is Dr. Josh, as humble as he always is, is such a nice man. And you got to watch him, though. He's got he's got he's got things up his sleeve. Uh, I know that for sure. Um, as usual, I want to thank, um, and not as usual because I don't want it to sound mundane. I want to thank Pasta Mike with Normalizing Atheism for all of the logos, all the artwork. All of the uh, the introduction, the cutaways, everything. That's all him. Not me. I wish I could do that kind of work, but I can't. Check him out over at Normalizing Atheism on YouTube. And also he has a Facebook group if you want to go in there and talk about atheism or theism, maybe. It's, uh, it's a tough crowd there. So... Uh, thank you, everybody, for showing up, especially for last minute. We had a fantastic crowd. I am very thankful. Uh, anybody who's a regular, I would ask that maybe you would consider giving to the Patreon just enough to cover show costs. I'm not in this to make money. However, it does get pretty expensive, so I am trying to get enough to at least cover uh, some of the show costs, if not all the show costs eventually. But uh, thank you, everyone, again. Have a good evening.